0: David Rollins is an Australian author whose books mix crime, politics, terrorism, action, adventure, flying, and war. His books have been reviewed as incredibly dramatic blockbusters. He has written five books which involve corruption, special agents, and serial killers. And David Rollins has been hailed as the next Tom Clancy. In David Rollins' own words, he's pushing fifty. He's a massive fan of planes, cars, motorbikes, and fitness. After what he calls a bit of a midlife crisis, he took some time off to learn to fly and wrote his first novel, Rogue Element, in 2002. These were closely followed by Sword of Allah in 2004, The Death Trust in 2005, A Knife Edge in 2006, which was shortlisted for the 2007 Ned Kelly Awards Best Crime Fiction, and his latest novel, Hard Rain, was released in June 2008. David spent time working in the publishing industry and also got to drive cars and bikes for a variety of motoring magazines. He switched to advertising and also ran his own advertising agency. He now lives in Sydney with his wife and three children. David, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Now tell us, when and how did you start writing about action and adventure and crime fiction?
1: Well, I guess... um... Uh, I, look, I read Tom Clancy's uh, Hunt for Red October, and it just opened my eyes to, a, a, I guess, a whole other world of of writing. I, I'd always enjoyed, you know, things like Ian Fleming's James Bond, and mm. and uh, I don't know. I just thought, well, I'd like to have a crack at that. And one day, um, I'd had an idea, sort of sitting in the back of my head, and. And it was a slow day at the office one day and I just started writing.
0: <laughs> and a slow day in the office, tell us what were you doing at the time? Because you came to writing kind of later in life, didn't you?
1: I did, yes. Look, I, I had my own uh, advertising agency at the time. And, um, uh, you know, I'd been pursuing that that uh, that career. And in advertising, You, it's all or nothing. And um, so I... I don't know, look, I'd always been a writer as well and and I think uh, I had a view that you can't really call yourself a writer because I'd started out as a journalist and I was a copywriter which is sort of the advertising equivalent of a writer and um, I think you can't really call yourself a writer until you've written a book so it was always in the back of my mind to do that and I just, I guess, had the opportunity one day with a, a few spare hours just to jot down that thought and once I'd done that, I thought, Oh I mean, you know, I might just keep writing. So that's essentially what I did.
0: So, when you had that slow day in the office and you jotted down some thoughts, were the thoughts an actual story, a plot, a character? What actually started?
1: Well, it was a it was an idea that I'd had um, for quite some time, and I don't, I can't even remember who told me this, but uh, someone had said to me once that. In the Indonesian military regarded Australia as South Irian Jaya. And I said, ooh, that's interesting. And when we uh, invaded, when the Australian um, uh, army was under the, you know, the guise of the, um, the United Nations force, uh, invaded East Timor to assist the um, East Timorese in their uh, drive to become, uh, you know, separate or autonomous from, from uh, the Indonesians, uh, I thought, you know, wouldn't it be interesting if uh, a clique of Indonesian generals decided to get, you know, to pay us back sometime down the track? Mm. Uh, because they'd always always regarded Australia as their territory in a funny sort of way, hence that you know the South Korean jive is. And so I, it was more it was more a bit of plot, and you know, of co- and never having written a book before, and and there being no real um, you, you know sort of course to do that. Uh, I uh, made the mistakes that people usually do when they you know, write their first book and I learnt them as I went and so as a consequence I had to write the, the story rewrite the story thirty five times to make it, you know, halfway reasonable. Thirty
0: five times.
1: Yeah, I got nauseous, you know, by time by, you know, rewrite number ten, every time I started I would just get physically sick with the thought of reading <laughs> this thing again. Um, but you know, each time I did it I, I made it, you know, better and you know, things occurred to me, and and the characters got better, and um, it's yeah, that's where that's kind of how my first um, book, Rogue Element, began.
0: And how did you, apart from rewriting it thirty-five times, how else did you hone your skills? Did you get support or advice from other people?
1: Well, my mother is a journalist, and uh, in fact, I've got quite a few journalists in my family and and writers. and Mary Moody, for example, is is uh, my second cousin. Right. Um so yeah, I had a I had I had quite a few, you know, I had some um writers sort of in the family that I could call on to read the material. I also um hired the services of a a professional manuscript assessor. Mm. And I guess I was just waiting for someone to tell me the story was crap. Yeah. Um but no one ever did. But but by the same token, you know, I I I sent the the, the manuscript out to seventy eight Um, uh, publishers around the world and got 78 rejection slips Um, so uh, you know uh, the fact that it did get published is just is more a testament to my doggedness than anything else
0: and after the 78th rejection slip how did you keep going what motivated you to keep on going down this path?
1: Well as each as each of these letters, you know, kept appearing in my letterbox, you know, the first dozen or so, I I, I would tear open, you know, with anticipation. This is going to be the one. This is going to be the <laughs> yes. Welcome to you're now a writer. Here you go. We're going to publish this thing and give you a ton of money. Um, and uh, but none of that happened. So I, I, you know, I did have a I did have doubts, and I went, you know, back to the people, you know, who'd read the stuff before, and I said, you know, tell me honestly, is this crap, or or um, is it not? And as I said, no one, no one said. And I'm not a standover guy either, so I wasn't, you know, kind of threatening at all. I said, "Please tell me it's crap and put me out of my misery." And they said, "No, it's actually pretty good." So, I guess, you know, I thought, well, what I've done is I've tried to get it published in the wrong way. Let's assume, let me assume that the story is reasonable." maybe I'm just going about this the wrong way. And it turns out that, you know, a lot of um, publishers these days just don't accept unsolicited manuscripts and most of them don't even open them, even though they'll send you back a letter saying, you know, uh, thanks, we read it and we're not you know, interested in this kind of material at this time. Um, most of them just send you a form letter back. Mm. Um, so uh, I, I, I decided to go a different way and I went direct to an agent. Mm-hmm. and that turned out to be the thing to do mm. um because these days if you want to get published um a lot of the, all the publishing companies none of them hire readers to sit through what they call the slush pile mm. you know they they figure that um you know if a book is is worthwhile somehow it will find its way through the system and and mostly the the gatekeepers of, of that of of that system are the agents because mm. the publishers figure well you know an agents only got eight hours in the day to make a living, um, and they 're only going to promote books that they think are really worthwhile so they listened to the to the agents and and I happened to find a fantastic agent she and, and as it turned out um, as it turned out, she was fantastic. Um, her name was Rose Creswell, and the only reason I went to Rose is that she just happened to be in and answered the phone at the, at the <laughs> right time um, and she had a terrific um, Reputation, and she read the manuscript and it was her a hundred pages and she rang me back almost the same day and said, look, I've just read them. I, I'm really excited by this book. I, I don't think you'll have any problem getting it published. Come and see me. Send me the rest. So that's what I did and pretty much uh, within two weeks I had a had a, a two-book deal with um, Pan Macmillan who uh, were one of the uh, publishing companies that sent me a rejection slip.
0: <laughs> so persistence pays off.
1: Yeah. Well, did in my case anyway.
0: So, rogue element involves elements of the SAS. Um, how well do you know about the inner workings of the SAS, or is much of it the result of research or your imagination, or?
1: It's a combination of both those things. Uh-huh. I mean, when um, uh, I didn't really know too much about it at all when I started. I, I just assumed I wanted this kind of account. Char- I wanted an SAS kind of character, and the story required you know, a unit of SAS guys to go in and do their thing. And I really didn't know too much about it. So I just wrote the story and researched, you know, back from that. Uh, you know, I needed these guys to go in over here. Who, how are they going to do that? Who, you know, who, what sort of clearances do they need? What sort of unit would they send in? What sort of equipment would they take with them? And I just researched it all. You know, I've probably, you know, asked about FACE. <laughs> and, and but you know it saves you a lot of time doing that if you have the, this is the this is my story this is my plot this is what i want to happen now what are the details that that kind of flesh that out so i, I kinda of, I, I don't know whether other writers do it that way but that's just the way i did it for the first book and um it, you know i've found when it comes to research that if you ask experts um to you know kind of give you a leg up on their experience just about everyone will help. There's very few. There are very few people in the world. When you say to them, "Look, I'm an author. You know, I'm writing this book. I want to get it right. Can you help me, please? Just tell me what. You know, I, this is my idea. Where is it wrong, and how? How? How can I make it right? And I haven't really struck anyone who'd say, "Look, go away, I'm not interested in in, in helping you."
0: And so, did you interview people from the SAS, or how did that? go? I did.
1: Yeah, I, I um. Uh, how did I find? Okay, I wanted to um, I wanted to uh, get these guys to parachute in to um, to East Timor because I I you know I'm sort of a little bit of a news junkie and and um, you know I've kind of read a bit anyway about about the Australian military and about the SAS so I'd read a bit and that helps because at least your your questions aren't completely stupid then mm. um, and. I I wanted these guys to parachute in. I thought, well, how am I going to get hold of an SAS or or someone who who jumps for the army? And I had done a parachute jump myself um, fairly recently. So I called uh, the Australian Parachuting Club down at Picton. I think that's what they're called. And I spoke to the boss there and said, "Look, you know, this is me. I'm writing a book, and I want to. You know, do you know anyone who's got any military experience? Jump, you know, like a military parachutist." He said, "Well, actually, yeah, we do. There's a guy that uh, jumps out of here, and and uh, he's in the SAS." I went, "Oh, you are kidding!" <laughs> um, and that's pretty much how you know how I reach most of my sources. I just go to the the civilian. Um, uh, you know, like if I want to talk to a, if I want to talk to a military pilot, I'll go. I, I've gone. I've found them through the Australian, sorry, the Sydney Aerobatic School, because that's where military pilots go when they're flying. You know, uh, civilian aircraft. Mm-hmm. So you just, I just find the you know where these where these guys are likely to hang out and get to them that way because it's almost impossible to get them. If I rang Pierce, for example, where these guys, where the SAS, you know, are. are um, are based over in west australia I, I wouldn't get past reception
0: no of course not
1: so um, yeah that's the way to do it. so
0: you wrote sort of Allah well, you released sort of Allah in two thousand and four a book about terrorism, which is set in you know canberra israel, Papua New Guinea Persian Gulf, manila what What inspired that book? What gave you that idea
1: well okay when when I, when I um, got the publishing deal um, to you know, for, with Pan and Macdonald for Rogue Government. They said, Look, we're not interested in a in a one book one day. Have you got two books in you? I mean, Of course. <laughs> yes. Um and so they said, Oh, okay, fine. Um well and they went ahead and, and published uh Rogue Government but they said, Okay, now we want this book delivered in twelve months' time and I thought, Oh, okay, well that really that's a problem because I had no idea. Um I didn't I hadn't I I had no I had no idea for for another book. So <laughs> I uh, picked on um, a couple of the characters from Rogue Element and thought, okay, well, what might be their next mission? Mm. And just chased that story through. And and I'm you know I'm a news junkie and I was very interested in in uh, the Middle East and trying to, you know, sort muddle through that problem, I guess. And um, so Rogue Element, sorry, sort of Ella, Ella was um, born of that. And I and I also wanted to. Right, because Australia at that stage was really you know stepping up to the plate, thanks to Iron Man John Howard, you know mm. uh, wanting to be the the sheriff of this part of the world, and and um, Australia was flexing its its military muscles. And I thought, okay, well, you know, how can Australia help in this you know this kind of uh, this area of the world, the Middle East, that's been you know problematic since the Romans um, decided to invade it. And uh, yes, yeah, sort of, Allah was was um, the result of that.
0: Mm. And your lead character in in the first two books is Tom Wilkes, an SAS sergeant. Is he based on anyone?
1: Um, no, I guess Tom, Tom just kind of um, just appeared, really. Um, I, I needed a character and, and Tom, you know, fit the bill. But it was interesting writing those two books because I, I found it actually, when it came to my lead character's... Quite a few people, you know, seem to like Tom, but he was too good for me. I mean, he was much too. I mean, one of my, um, I guess, issues with Tom Clancy is I, I find his. I think his. You know, handling technical detail is terrific, and his plots are great, but I think his characters are incredibly two-dimensional or even one-dimensional. Mm. And I and I felt that Tom was was in danger of falling into the same camp. You know, he was. You always make the right decision. He's utterly good. He's motivated by all the right things. And um, would I want to have a beer with a guy? Mm, probably not really. <laughs> um, so I, I, I wanted to do a different kind of character. And um, so really, it was Tom that sent me back to the drawing board.
0: So your next character then, your next lead character, Vin Cooper, is is someone? Is that somebody you would have a beer with? And how did you develop him?
1: Yeah, he's a bit of a rogue you know is Finn he doesn't necessarily make the the right decisions he's not he's not in the least politically correct um and yet he does his heart is in the right place although sometimes it takes him a while to figure out um you know sort of what's right and what's wrong um he's a much more realistic character he he is someone i think you know i would like to have a drink with and you know he is he's driven by irony and sarcasm and you know he finds himself in these situations that where you know that are not of his choosing or of his making and you know he uses humor to you know to kind of help him deal with them and i kind of like that it's even though he's in, written as an American character, that feels quite Australian to me mm. as well. Mm. Um, yeah, so I, I like uh, Finn. He's, some, he's someone I can be around for quite some time.
0: Your books are quite um, escapist in, in, in a way because they take readers to a completely different world. Do you live in that world while you're writing that book? Or how, how do you get into you know, a life that's so different really to your own?
1: yeah well um it helps being you know having a, an imagination yes. um on the on the one hand but look uh, there's a guy called there's a poet called Robert Frost who said an idea is the feat of association, and that i that's really what's where most of my ideas come from. you know, I just draw together different strings into you know something something hopefully new. Um, but when it comes to some of those strings, like, uh, for example, in the latest book with Finn Cooper uh, called Hard Rain, mm. he finds himself in uh, Istanbul and then in Egypt. And I kind of feel when it comes to that, when it comes to uh, that sort of detail, in order to have a really good fit, you know, to convey a sense of place, you need to have an understanding for it. What does it smell like? You know, mm. what uh, when it rains, what's... What do they eat? You know, what's the music like that you hear on the street? All that stuff is really important, I think, um, if you're going to establish another world, um, you know, for in, in a reader's mind. Mm. And so I, I go there. Um, there are some places, however, that I haven't been to which feature in my book. And one of those, of course, is Iraq. I mm. haven't been to Iraq, but I've talked to a lot of people who have. And, and you know, that. I would, lo- I would like to go. Um, part of me would like to go, but the part of me ruled by my wife um, <laughs> won't let me go. And um, so, yeah, I'm not, I haven't gone there. I also haven't gone to Riga, which features um, in the Death Trust. And interestingly, I went to Riga through the pages of The Lonely Planet. You know, I bought the right. book, read it from cover to cover, went on the Internet, had a look at photographs of Riga, and I know enough about European cities to have a reasonable sort of feeling for them. And so then I settled this fog over the city, you know, so that all I could see were the, the spires of the um, of the churches through mm. the top of the fog, and kept the um, locations within the city very tight. Mm. So I didn't have to, you know, uh, give people too much of a, a, a you know a bigger picture of what of what Riga is like, whereas. In Istanbul, I had given people a really good impression of what Istanbul is like. Mm. And uh, my editor at Pan Macmillan, after the um, the Death Trust was written, I was we went to lunch and and uh, she said, "Isn't Riga the best place?" <laughs> I went, I've never been. I wouldn't know. <laughs> so you know, you, you can do it convincingly, just as long as you really are, you know toughen yourself and you control the environment.
0: Mm, good technique. Yeah. uh there's you obviously have a real sense of adventure yourself. What do you do in your daily life to fuel that sense of adventure?
1: Ah oh, you know look I, the 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 honest truth is i um I'm just a, one of those Walter Mickey types you know I, I would i just my wife is you know is often says to me, "Where are you?" And I can't tell her that, you know, I'm, I'm having an affair with a, with a Russian spy, you know, <laughs> um, so, or I'm jumping out of a, a plane that's on fire. I, I mean, it's, I just think about these things and what it would be like and how would I feel and, and then I read about them. Um, but of course, okay, when it comes to the flying stuff, I'm an aerobatic pilot, so that helps. Mm. Um, and I've raced motorbikes in my time and I, I'm a speed junkie. You know, I love fast cars, and um, so there's there's that that kind of goes into the mix. And as I say, it's it's that whole feat of association thing. You know, you bring all these sensations and and feelings and and um, and knowledge in. You know, uh, into the into the stories, and somehow they hopefully they come out as being halfway sort of entertaining. Mm. But I love to travel as well. I really think that that is is the sexiest thing you can do with your clothes on, um, <laughs> you know.
0: Whatever happened to the advertising agency?
1: Oh, uh, it got sold. Um, the the Japs bought it. No, sorry, the Japanese bought it. <laughs> and um, uh, an agency called Densu, and then it merged with some other agency, and that agency merged with another agency. So three mergers in the space of six months later, I went, I can't do this anymore. Um and I went out and had a crack at being, I got I got some money, of course, and, and used that to bankroll, um, uh, trying to be a, a professional writer.
0: That's when you decided, this is it, I'm going to do writing full time?
1: Yeah. You know, dumb decision in retrospect, because I, <laughs> I, I blew a huge amount of money. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, it's taken a long time. I, I wrote my first four books at night, really. I, I had to go back to work, really, uh, after a while, because, you know, the money did run out and... I still hadn't, didn't have the, the, you know, the publishing contract with, with Bantam in the states that I now have, and, you know, I got a wife and three kids, and you know, you kind of do what you got to do to support them, and, and, um, uh, so I went back to advertising on a freelance basis, mm-hmm. um, you know, just uh, going to work at nine and coming home at six and leaving all the, you know, the advertising stuff behind and going home and writing from 8 o'clock to 11 most time. Wow, that's discipline. Um, well, you know, you, if you want to do something, there are only 24 hours of the day, you've got to earn a living. Where's that? Right. Where are those hours going to come? Well, they've got to come out of your sleep.
0: So now tell us about your typical writing day. What What does that look like?
1: Okay, well, up until a week ago, um, <laughs> my my typical writing day was I would get out of bed, uh, My my desk is... In my bedroom, uh, in our in our bedroom, we a large bedroom, and, and uh, I just sit down and, and and start tapping away, and I you know kind of assist getting the kids off to school. I'd uh, write <laughs> until um, midday, then I go for a run, or I I go flying or something, and then I come home in the afternoon, and I'd write again. Then the kids come home and I help them with their homework. And at eight o'clock or eight thirty, I keep writing, and I probably get around two thousand words, two and a half thousand words done each day. Mm. Um, and then the next day, I edit the previous day's two and a half thousand words to get me into the, you know, back into the story. Mm. And then all the time in between, I'm thinking about conversations, playing them forwards and backwards, thinking about the plot, mm. you know, what's going to happen, where's it going to go. Even though I, I do have a a um, a synopsis, you know, the nuances of 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 the subplot and and you know just keep playing back and forth in my head and and somehow it just comes out the next day. Um, but uh, a week ago, um, I got a well, two weeks ago I got a call from a friend of mine who um, is running a huge multinational agency in in, in Sydney. Well, in Sydney that's having a few problems and they didn't have a creative director and I'm doing that job as an interim. Right, interim job um, to help out until they they get the real real McCoy in.
0: So you can kind of flick between the two.
1: Yeah, it, I've actually decided there are aspects of advertising that I quite like. Mm. Um, it's it's you know I'm an ideas junkie. I, I really like a great piece of communication, mm. um, and I do I do enjoy a blank sheet of paper and a brief. So if I can do, you know, some advertising, you know, my future is writing. Definitely, that's that's where I'm going. But a little bit of advertising every now and then is good because I get, you know, to talk to pe- lots of different people. I've spent essentially three years in my pajamas and ug boots in my bedroom. <laughs> um, so it's good to um, get out and and talk to some different people. And and um and in fact, the idea for um, Hard Rain. Came from a conversation that I had with a production manager at, at an advertising agency who told me that that um, Israel buys a lot of its water from um, from Turkey, and that's not what the story ended up being. But it, it sent me down this um, this track, and that uh, was a really interesting thing that I didn't know. So um, you know, so those kind of conversations, those sort of random conversations that you have, you only get when you're not. Um, just talking to the people between your ears.
0: <laughs> yes, that's an interesting place to stay. Yes. So what has been the response from readers? Do you get readers emailing you or, or contacting you or telling you what they think about your books?
1: I do. I, I get a lot from America, actually. Um, mm-hmm. The Death Trust, the first of the Vinca- They bought the three Vincuva books um, and the third one's come out in Australia, but the first one has only just come out in the States. And only in hardcover, so the numbers are reasonably small. Um, and that won't come out in paperback until next February when they're going to print, I don't know, three-quarters of a million of the things and sell them pretty much everywhere. But up until fairly recently, I was getting two emails a day, three two to three emails a day from readers of the Death Trust in the States to tell me they, they enjoyed the book but I got a fact wrong um, <laughs> or something, you know. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so I I do, I get fan mail, which is, um, you know, which I, and I answer every single letter with a personal response, um, because I think if someone's taken the time to write to you, I think it's, you know, it's good manners, if nothing else, just to write back and say, thank you for taking the time. And, and, um, even the, actually one, I get some weirdos too. I get one guy, you know, sort of wrote to me and said, um, oh, you know, I really enjoyed your book that you blaspheme. Far too much.
0: Right. And
1: I think the next book that you write, you should be careful because, you know, God is watching and, and so no more blood from you. Thank wow. you. Wow. Um, <laughs> okay.
0: Sure. <laughs> okay. And finally, what advice would you give to other people who would like to write and, and are thinking about it kind of later in life as well?
1: Um, well, don't give up your day job, really. I mean, writing is... Is a is a hobby, I think. For I'm just I'm incredibly lucky that I I just happen to have, you know, got this contract in America. Um, most writers I know, with rare exception, um, do it at night, and um, love it, uh, but. You know, as a as a as a full time career, I think you've got to be incredibly lucky. I mean, you've got to be lucky all the way along the line. You've got to be lucky to have a good idea, lucky enough to be able to have the time to put it down, lucky to get a publisher, lucky to get to sell enough to you know to keep the publisher interested. Mm. You know what I mean? The luck just. Of course, you've got to work at it, but you just need you need luck throughout the process. Mm. Um, so I guess my advice would be. Um, as a writer have, ask yourself whether you've got a good idea mm. ask yourself whether you enjoy your characters um, don't stop writing and edit the stuff put the put the put the book on the wall put the you know put the the words away for a few weeks and then come back to them when they're no longer yours and mm. you can you know look at them dispassionately and and kill the the bits that just don't work Um, and you only you can only do that if you have a little bit of distance
0: or rewrite it 35 times yeah yeah
1: (laughs) yeah but I you know I actually think a lot of that that rewriting stuff I did um, you know I just didn't want to kill stuff You know, I just didn't want to kill stuff. Um, And and so it just took me so many times to, you know, to come to the conclusion that, you know, that this bit didn't work or that bit didn't work or whatever. And I also, that first book was, um, I guess, uh, you know, diarrhea to some degree. I just wrote it. I didn't think about it too much. You know, I I knew what the story was and everything, but I just put everything down and, you know, it had so so many cliches in it and, and it just took me forever to, you know, to purge the book of all that stuff. Um, but what's left
0: it. is the cream.
1: Hopefully. I mean, I can't read that book. In fact, I, I can't, yeah, I haven't read that book in seven years. But wow. a lot of people um, who've read it say, oh, it's really good, it's, I love it, it's the best thing you've done. And I go, you're kidding, really? <laughs> I feel actually bad about that because I kind of hope I'm getting better.
0: <laughs> oh, well, I would look forward to hard rain then. Are, are you working on the next thing?
1: I am, actually. I'm 10,000 words... Um, away from completing book number six, which is not a Vancouver Cooper book. Uh-huh. Um, and it is, I guess it's, I'm having a real hard look at Russia.
0: Right.
1: At Russia is in this, as, you know, it's when it was part of the Soviet, major part of the Soviet Union and the post Soviet Union uh, Russia. And it's centered around the shooting down of Korean, Korean Airlines Flight 007 um, off Sakhalin Island by a Soviet missile in
0: 1983.
1: Wow. And, uh, yeah, so that's in fact I was in Siberia um, earlier this year, kind of researching um, aspects of that book. Um, so yeah, that's that's kind of my my next thing. It's, it's kind of a if if my, if Vin Cooper is a cross between um, Raymond Chandler and and Robert Ludlum, so I've been told, it's not me talking. Right. Um. Then this one is a cross between Robert Ludlum and John Macare. So it's, it's kind of a very much it's kind of a spy type great um, thing. Much tougher as well than my usual offering.
0: We look forward to it. Well, good luck with the next 10,000 words.
1: Thank you very much.
0: Thanks for your time today, David. Thanks very much, Alan. ValerieKoo.com. That's ValerieKoo, K-H-O-O.com. Thank you for listening.